just a, a wee while somehow since I've preached. I don't know why that is. Um, my brother Ross, who's preaching at Davenport uh, Community Baptist Church today, so please pray for Ross and for them. I'm sure that's going to be great. But it just seems like a while, what with a bit of illness and stuff like that. So it, it's just a joy. And I was saying at the nine o'clock, I don't know if you know about the prophet Jeremiah, but he said in part of what we have in uh, the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, that the word kind of burned like a fire in his bones. Has anyone read that? Anyone ever feel that, that the, the scriptures just make your heart burn? They make you passionate. And there's a bit of me, a man who was an atheist, a scientific atheist until the age of 32, that now believes, I hope, with humility under God, that that's the way I feel about Scripture. It's like a, a word that burns like a fire in my bones. And one of the times when I feel most alive is when I have the privilege of sharing that with the prayer that I kind of get out of the way and Jesus is the one that's heard and the one that's seen and the one that people love. But that's the way I feel today, so watch out. Okay, just joking. No, I'm not. We've been in a series, Fruitfulness on the Front Line. And Fruitfulness on the Front Line has been a series that has been helping us to understand what it means to be fruitful on your front line. So I'm going to read from uh, Peter's first epistle. Then we're going to look at this scripture and hopefully God will help us by the presence and power of His Holy Spirit to know how to be fruitful on our front lines. So if you've got a pew Bible, uh, you'll find 1 Peter there in the New Testament about page 1200 and something because I haven't got my notes in front of me. Uh, That's in the Pew Bibles, but I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 8, actually. I'm going to read from verse 8 down to the end of verse 18, but the key verses are behind me. Those are verses 15 and verses 16. So here it is, 1 Peter 3 from verse 8. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love us brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But, this is verse 15, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And verse 16 says, do that keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. And may God add blessing to this word. So when we say we've been in a series on fruitfulness on the front line, and on this first Sunday in Advent, when we remember Jesus, the light of the world, and we've lit that candle to remember the coming of the light into the world, 
as we approach Christmas and the amazing miracle of the incarnation that God becomes flesh, that a virgin has a child called Jesus and he's Emmanuel, God with us. As we think of fruitfulness on the front line and end this series, we have been asking questions. But first of all, let me tell you what your front line is. If you are a Christian disciple, a follower of Jesus, as Katie so clearly declared herself to be today, she's come to know that she wants to live all of her life for Jesus. When she's not asleep, she wants to be living for Jesus. Not in some kind of pious way, but living the life that God wants her to live wherever she is when she's wide awake, in her school, when she studies with her friends, not just in church and at youth group, but when she's involved in her sports and her activities and her recreation and her home. She wants to live for Jesus on her front line. And we've been asking ourselves, are we fruitful on our front lines? We've been asking kind of seven am I questions. Seven am I questions. And the first one was this. We looked at the big picture, but then we went on to ask the question, am I modeling godly character? If the big picture is that God cares about everything and the gospel, the good news of Jesus touches everything. Am I modeling godly character? We looked at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, which says that the fruit of the Spirit, living for Jesus, when His Spirit's in you, you'll produce more of this fruit. That is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Modeling godly character. Second question, am I making good work? Do I know that even when the boss isn't watching, Jesus is, and He wants me to do the best work I can? Whether I'm studying, whether I'm working, whether it's volunteer work because I've retired, whatever it is, am I making good work? Am I ministering grace and love to other people, whoever they are? Not just the people in church. Am I molding the culture? Am I being salt and light? Jesus in the, the great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, said not only that he was the light of the world, he turned to his disciples and said, you're the light of the world. Don't let you hide your light under a bushel, put it on a hill that people may see your good deeds and not praise you, but praise your Father in heaven. Christian disciples are supposed to be light to the world. They're supposed to be those who mold culture. And we're supposed to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice. For those who are oppressed, for those who are abused, for those we need to stand up for, we need to be a mouthpiece to speak into that. And today we come to this final message. If as disciples of Jesus were to make other disciples, and that's what we're called to do as a church, as a disciple individually we play our part in other people becoming disciples of Jesus, then we need all of us, not to be preachers, perhaps, but to be messengers of this gospel. Messengers of the gospel. And when we're messengers of the gospel, all of us together, then we'll end up making other disciples just as we are disciples. So you'll notice clearly in Katie's testimony the influence of those who've been messengers of the gospel, mum and dad, the family. By the way, could we give a humongous welcome to those who've travelled all the way from Northern Ireland? Let's give them a big welcome now. Okay? And um, mum and dad and that family context and those who've been leading her in a youth group and her friends have all been messengers of the gospel to Katie and she's responded to that good news. You see, that one doesn't work so well if the others aren't in place. Why would anyone care what Clive knows about any so-called good news if Clive's never shown any godly character that's consistent with it? If he's never cared for them, if he's never modelled love and grace to them, why would anyone want to listen to me? Why would, why would they even think about listening to the message that I might have unless those other things are in place? 
Now, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but this story's been told, and I want to tell it again. I'm so glad to see my sister, Anne Scarf, back here. But I'm so glad to see a lady who is continuing to be part of our first service and has been on our Alpha course, because on a bus, which Anne regularly travels on, this lady was one day quite distressed, and Anne just offered love and grace and offered to pray, and this lady wanted her to pray. Now, if you know Anne, she would pray very sensitively and pastorally and compassionately, and she'd get slightly more excited and slay pray slightly louder and then maybe a little bit more passionate and a little bit louder until the whole of the top deck of the bus was hearing this wonderful prayer. Now here's the great news, those regular people on that regular bus became a little bit of a community that would always say hello to each other and invited them last Christmas into her home and now they see her on the bus, they know that she's a messenger of the good news because she was good news that day, are you with me? And I want to tell you, I want to give you the follow-up, I told you that through a little bit of a health issue that I've been having that some of you know about, uh, I was a bit distracted and didn't do what I've normally have done when we were pretty certain, Marilyn and I, that an ambulance had come to the neighbours opposite us. And I felt bad about that, and I told you, I want to give you an update. I promised you that I'd missed one opportunity, but I wouldn't miss another to show God's love to our neighbours. We thought it was probably the, the husband that was ill. He, was, he seemed older and a bit frailer. Turns out it wasn't, as you'll see. But I went over there, I prayed. I asked God to fill me with His Holy Spirit. I wrote a loving card assuring them that I hadn't been, and I, I apologised for that, but I'd been praying. And I went over there and knocked on the door, and they weren't in. They just weren't in. They weren't in. And I was frustrated because I thought, oh, I'm sure you're in this. So I just posted the card. Prayed as I went home. Later that day, no names, that wouldn't be fair. The lady comes over. The lady comes over. She said, I, I just wanted to come and thank you for that beautiful card. And you've been praying for me. Don't worry that you didn't come over. It's just so kind. I said, was it your husband? She said, no, it's me. I said, oh, come in. How are you? You look, you look fine. She said, I've had a bit of a problem. Now, those who've been here know the context of this. You will not be surprised to know that when I sat her down and welcomed her into my home, I said, well, what was the problem, if you don't mind asking? She says, well, I've had something called a trans-scheming attack or a mini-stroke. I said, well, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> Cut a long story short. We're closer as neighbours and friends. And I had the immense privilege having asked her three times, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure, of praying with my dear neighbour. It was a privilege. I didn't get it right the first time, but God gives us second chance. Can I just check at this point? Anyone ever feel they've missed an opportunity to be a messenger just like I did? Anyone? Yeah, look, oh, thank you for being honest up there in the balcony and down there. We, we miss it and we blow it. But the great thing is God loves us and he's a God of the second chance. I want to talk to you then about being a messenger of the gospel. I want to give you some background and context very briefly to 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16, our key verses. And the core verse within that is the one I'm going to look at in detail. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Before I got, get there, let me tell you that Peter, the big fisherman, the one who was called Simon, the one who Jesus said, you'll be the rock. He's the one 
who's writing to these people, most of them fellow Jews who are being persecuted. Listen to what he says right at the beginning of his letter in his greeting. He says, Peter, an apostle, which means a sent one, of Christ Jesus, to God's elect, that means called and chosen, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered, that means exiled in the underlying language, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who've been, listen to this, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Uh, The Trinity's a mystery, but it's right there. Did you notice Katie was baptized in the name of one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Did you notice? That's what Jesus said when He gave the disciples after His resurrection, the Great Commission, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've been obedient to Jesus this morning. One God, the Father, who comes in the Son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus dies. He's crucified, brutally murdered. But he ascends to heaven after his glorious resurrection, three days after his death and when he's ascended to heaven many days later after appearing to over 500 people alive on one occasion he and the father pour out the spirit who's right here right now and if you're not a christian he wants you to know that you are loved and he wants you to become part of the family so the background of the context is that peter's writing to these persecuted jews for the most part in gentile nations who are suffering and are misunderstood by the world. They're like strangers in exile. But he says to them, you are called. You are called. And then in the verses that we've been reading, he makes clear what they're called to do. They're called to set apart Christ in their hearts as Lord. They're called to, when they get asked, to give a reason for the hope they have. And they're called to do it with gentleness and respect. What are they called to share? What are they called to be messengers of? This gospel, what is that? It's the euangelion, the evangelion. It's, it's, it's the good news, literally. It's the good news. And guess what? There are companies now, international companies, lots of companies, that call their sales teams evangelists. Did you know that? Not Christians. Christians would probably shy away from that for obvious reasons. But these sales teams call their salesmen and women evangelists. Why? Because they want their customers to know the good news is this product will bless your life. You need this product. So they bring good news. They're evangelists. Now sometimes the evangelion is proclaimed by evangelists, those who bring the good news, heralds, preachers of the gospel. But actually what Peter's doing here is saying we're all called to be messengers. Witnesses might be a better word. Just like Katie bore witness this morning in her baptism. What is the gospel? It's in verse 18 of chapter 3. Let me read it to you. Listen to this, verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all. They'll have to keep sacrificing Jesus. You don't have to say that in the communion something mystical is happening. That reminds us of what he's done once and for all, and it's this. For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous, the one who never sinned, for the unrighteous, that's me. I'm only righteous because of Jesus. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body on what we know as Good Friday. He was crucified. But he was made alive by the Spirit on what we know as the Easter day, the Resurrection Sunday. And that is, in one verse, the gospel. If you can remember that verse, you can share what your hope is. 
that Jesus died for your sins, so there's no barrier between you and God. You're forgiven. Your slate is wiped clean, like, just like me at 32 as a scientific atheist. There is no God. There's no Jesus. That's nonsense. Then I met him. Changed my life. Changed my eternal destiny. Wow. And so the inevitable response of this good, to this good news, this gospel, is what Katie has done this morning and declared to us, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. That's the first part of the verse. We're going to look at it in three parts. And the first part, you'll see it appear behind me. In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. This is what we call whole life discipleship. With every part of your being. There's three aspects here. The context of our daily lives, the content of our lives as disciples, if you are a Christian, and the courage of our convictions as Christian disciples. We need to know the context of our lives. And it's this, that we live for Jesus against the stream. We don't go on the broad road that Jesus said leads to death. We go on the narrow road being jostled often to life. We carry our cross. But we don't have to do it with a glum face. Do you know in this context, uh, quoting Psalm 34 verse 12, Peter has said in verse 10 of chapter 3, whoever would love life and see good days. Do you know too many Christians think that you've got to be miserable to be a Christian. Where did that come from? Now's the time for you all to start smiling back at me with a big joyful smile. That's better. Wonderful. And on the balcony. Yeah, up there too. Because if you love life, let me give you some good news. Jesus said that I've come that you might have life. And life in all its fullness. Abundant life. So the context of our daily lives matter. And the content of our lives as disciples matter. As whole life disciples, those other M's are important. You see, this Bible, Holy Scripture, the bedrock for my life and I hope for yours, is a love letter from heaven. And in it we encounter the living word Jesus in the midst of this word that God's breathed out. He's expired, he's breathed it out, he's inspired it for men and women to record it. But it is holy scripture because it's divine. And yet if my life as a book doesn't measure up with this life as a book, as a friend from Northern Ireland once told me, if you just talk the talk but you don't walk the walk, if my life doesn't read at least a little bit like Jesus. Not perfect, because although this book is perfect, have you ever found there's some challenging bits in it? Old Testament scripture, same God, some strange and difficult stuff that we just need to understand fully and properly. But our lives need to be understood at the very least when someone looks at your life in the context of your daily life, they need to see something of the content of my life and your life as a disciple of Jesus. It's not about being perfect. Let me give you some good news on this one. Last Christmas, the Evangelical Alliance of the United Kingdom, in their magazine Idea, and you'll find this on page 28 of uh, last December's uh, Idea magazine, they wrote an article uh, summarizing research of uh, the Barna Group and Comrades who were commissioned by the Church of England and the Hope Organization, great Christian organization, to look into this. Perceptions of Christ... Christianity and the church in England. Perceptions of Jesus, of Christian faith and of the church that owns his name. And listen to this. Despite negative media portrayals, most people actually like the Christians they know. 
Wow, good news. Someone likes you. Russell, someone might speak to you tomorrow on your front line. It's amazing. It's according to this study conducted by Comres, took place among 3,000 people living predominantly in England. The research was a result of months of collaborations. This is the stuff they found. 57% of people in England call themselves Christians. 57%. One in five of those who don't is open to finding out more about Jesus after hearing Christians talk to them about their faith. It also showed that the majority of non-Christians know a Christian and think well of them. They are most likely to describe us as friendly, caring, good-humoured, generous, and helpful. Wow, that's amazing. Andy, that describes you. Isn't that great? It's fantastic. Deborah, that describes you as well. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I know those people enough to know I wouldn't be surprised. But that's the perception However, just 9% of those Christians would be described as practicing, reporting regularly, praying, reading the Bible, and attending church at least monthly. Only 9%. Okay? Dr. Rachel Jordan, who is the National Advisor for Mission and Evangelism for the Church of England, said this, quote, What is more, people like their Christian friends and family members, and they enjoy being with them. It's getting better, isn't it? 20% of our friends and family members want to know more about our faith in Jesus. That's good. That's encouraging. Hold the thought, because we'll come back to this year's report and some practical help. But when we get to this third point here, the context of our daily lives is important. The content of our lives is really important, but we need the courage of our convictions as Christian disciples. Now, I'm sorry to do this for you, but what that means is boldness. And I couldn't help when preparing that a song came to mind. So I'm going to try and inflict it upon you because there's a song that goes like this. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord our God is with you. It also sings, I am not afraid. No, 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 I'm not afraid, for the Lord my God is with you. Now, for goodness sake, if you like good singing, drown my voice out quickly. But if you know it, join in. Ready? Be bold. For the Lord my God is with you. Be bold, be bold, be strong, be strong. For the Lord my God is with you. I am not afraid, no, 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 I am not dismayed, no, no, for the Lord my goodness. Something like that. Oh, I'm walking in and for the Lord our God is with you. Wonderful. Bring back Andy as soon as possible. But we need the courage of our convictions. Listen, I missed... My brother Alan McCulloch uh, was a Navy and an Army chaplain, currently on staff here. Um, He got these prepared for me. These are my dad's medals. My daddy died when I was five years old, sobbed my heart out. Never really knew him. But I know he was brave. And I have the right one day a year, just one day a year I have the right, to wear these on the right-hand side of my chest. Not the left, that's only for people who deserve them and earn them, but on the right. There's a Burma star on here. My dad was bigger than me. When he came back from the war, scraping away from death into life, and when he got brought home, he weighed seven stone. 
I don't wish I weighed seven. I wish I weighed about 10 or 11, but seven stone. He was bigger than me because he'd been in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. Thank God for the reconciliation we've known with the nation of Japan. If you're from Japan and you're here today, God bless you. Come and chat. But in that prisoner of war camp, he faced some horrible things. He caught a tropical disease which weakened his heart. He died the morning after his 49th birthday. Had a great party. He was a publican, a landlord. And my mum said in the morning, do you want a cup of tea, darling? He said, yeah, that would be great. She went downstairs, came back. He'd gone. 49 years old. But I know he helped to build that railway. The one you've seen books about. The one you've seen movies about. The one that you've read about. He built that railway. He was brave. <laughs> one of the few things I have is his Bible. Beaten up, old, King James Bible. I think in those days every soldier was given. And it's marked and it's mangled because it's got damp. I don't know, I can't tell you, I wish I could, whether he had it in that camp, I doubt it. I've no idea, but somehow I've got his Bible and I treasure it. Didn't believe in any of it for 32 years. But I do now. We need to be courageous. And I'll tell you why we need to be courageous. Because of stories like this, the Times. And the Times on Friday, November the 18th, 2016. Headline, Judge Back's dying child's bid to have body frozen. Cancer victim 14 preserved after legal first. David Brown, the chief news correspondent, tells us of a 14-year-old girl who's become the first British child to have her body frozen in the hope, in the hope, of being brought back to life following a landmark legal ruling. The schoolgirl wrote a letter to a judge saying that she did not want to die and arguing that procedure known as cryonic preservation gave her the hope of being woken up, in inverted commas, when a cure for her rare form of cancer was found. She died 11 days later after a judge banned her father, who also has cancer, from blocking her wishes. This is what she said to that judge. I'm only 14 years old and I don't want to die. But I know I'm going to. I think being cryopreserved gives me a chance to be cured and woken up even in hundreds of years' time, she wrote. I don't want to be buried underground. I want to live and live longer. And I think that in the future they might find a cure for my cancer and wake me up. I want to have the chance. This is my wish. The maternal grandparents covered the estimated £37,000 cost of having a body frozen. What's my point? That cryonics is good or bad? No, no, that's not my point. I don't know, but I'm suspecting that that, that poor 14-year-old child only had hope for this life. I could be wrong. I hope I am. Please, God, forgive me if I am. But I wanted someone to give her the message. The hope's not about having your body frozen. Because guess what? I'm going to die. I did nearly recently. And God's given me more years. And you can be certain of what I'm going to spend those years doing. And you're all going to die. I don't want to be negative. Love life. Make the most of it. But that is a statistical fact. 100% of human beings one day will face death. But we have hope in Christ beyond this life. Amen? That's worth saying hallelujah for. And I just wish that someone would have been a messenger of the gospel to that young girl. I need to, I need to move on. 
In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Second part, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. By witnessing. In a sense, the picture captures it. Love God, love people, serve the world. Follow Jesus by loving God, loving people, and serving the world. If we love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, we obey something that you could call the great commandment from Jesus. That's the way he summed up the law. He said, I've come to fulfill the law. Here's a summary of the law. All true religion, that's what it's about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself, but come to your Father through Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. So if we're going to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and be witnesses, I want to suggest three things here. It's about showing love for God. It's about showing love for people. And yes, it's about showing love for your life and for their life. Show love for God. Show love for others. And show love for your life. Because Jesus gave us the great commission, which is rooted into the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all, uh, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus, later on in Matthew 28, in 22 he says that. In 28 he says, I've got all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Therefore you go and make disciples of all nations. Because let me tell you, it's loving to feed the hungry. It's loving to clothe the naked. It's loving to put a roof over a homeless person's head. It's loving to set people free from addiction to drugs or booze or sex. That's loving. But in this church, thank God, we will do all of that and more, but we will never fail to say there's a God who loves you and you can meet him in Jesus. Because if I only do all that and I visit the people in prison and do all that stuff that Jesus talks about, but I never ever share this gospel. I might have loved them for their earthly existence, but I've let them down for eternity. Are you with me? How can we have a church that is all about love and yet make certain people in our united kingdom feel that they're not welcome in a church because of whatever issue? Whether it's their addictions, whether it's their sexuality, whatever it is, and we need to hold on to biblical teaching and truth, but find a way to express that fullness of biblical teaching and truth that is about loving God, loving people, and loving our lives and the lives of others. I want to be practical. So let me tell you that what I prayed when I went across the road to my neighbors, it wasn't for then, but it was for later. I'd love to tell you that every time, every time I'm uh, I'm thinking about this. I'm praying to be filled with the Spirit. But the, the thing is, I do regularly, but not as reg regularly enough. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, a different apostle, Paul this time, says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says in Ephesians 5 verse 18, in that kind of context and around there, make the most of every opportunity because the days are dark. The days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity. I missed an opportunity with my neighbor, but I took the opportunity. But yesterday, I did not on the way to a, a really challenging afternoon, actually. I want to tell you, it was a tough cross to carry. I mean, sometimes you just have to go to the pub and watch England play rugby. You just have to do it, you know? 
It's not everyone's cup of tea. Some of you struggle even more. But I had to say, Marilyn, look, I, I just feel I've got to go and watch England play Argentina today. So I went off there. And I'm delighted to say, I'm sitting there, Billy no mates, you know, watching the game. And a guy walks in in a bit of a rush. He says, is it all right to sit here? There's no one else at my table. I said, yeah, it'd be great. Join me. And we get talking. Simon. And Simon, if you are listening to this now, know that God loves you. I know that I'm praying for you, Simon. He sat down, and we got chatting, and it was great. It was great to have a mate. You know, it was Billy Nomates. There's Simon. So we got to know each other, got chatting. He's here from Twickenham. He's a businessman with his wife, who he's been married to for 31 years, and they've got four sons. See, we had a good time together, and we didn't just watch rugby. And he left his wife some quality time with her mum while he went, because he's a rugby man, to the pub. So we got talking, and it was going really well. It went even better when a miracle happened. A Yorkshireman bought him a pint of beer. I did that, right, okay. And what are you laughing at? John, you're a Scot, my friend. Just tell these people, Yorkshiremen are not tight. I've heard it said that we're like Scotsmen with all the generosity squeezed out, but the Scottish and, and people from Yorkshire, we're just careful, right? We're generous, but careful. It's true, isn't it? Thank you, thank you. So, everything went well. I bought him the beer. And I got to know about his business, his MPI, he's doing a great job, he's now working from home, consultancy and all that kind of stuff, and we're loving the game and it was a bit scary, but we're talking rugby, we're enjoying life, we're interested in each other. And, and I'd asked him about him and then he asked the question, so what do you do then? Now I know it gives me an advantage or not, because at this moment when I give the answer, well, do you know Motley Plain? Yeah, you know that great big church, that old Victorian church with those big towers? He said, yeah, huge isn't it, beautiful. I said, yeah, I'm one of the pastors there. Really? Hang on a minute. This does not compute. You bought me a beer. You are watching rugby. You are a minister. They? Not, they don't do that kind of thing. And we got chatting. And we got chatting. And we got chatting. And he asked me to give him a reason for the hope that I have. You want to be certain that I was so encouraged that when I started singing the praises of the God I love and most of you love, and singing the praises of a church that tries to follow him, he got more and more interested. I said, are you sure you want to talk about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got talking. He's a man with a definite kind of a faith, but not as we would understand it necessarily. He's journeyed. He's raised his children in the Catholic faith because he, he was raised Church of England. And I don't want to go too much into your life, Simon, because you might be listening to this online. Because he got my card. And I said, now when you get this, I said, there's no strings attached. If we can help your mother-in-law, because you live up there, Let's see what we can do. But next time, if you're down for the Six Nations, just give me a ring and maybe we'll take in a game together. And so the friendship might build. Are you with me? That is not rocket science. I know it comes easy to me because I'm big and loud and extrovert and it's not as straightforward for you. But let me tell you that in this Christmas edition of IDEA, the Evangelical Alliance magazine, they remind us of the stats they tell us 43% of UK adults are not convinced that Jesus was even a real person. But they tell us that they've produced a website, listen to this, greatcommission.co.uk. Easy to remember, all lowercase, greatcommission.co.uk, where you can watch stories of lives changed by Jesus throughout the UK. You can also find stories of how others have shared their faith, exploring times when everything's gone well and when it's gone wrong. Loads of resources there greatcommission.co.uk. Tonight, here at the evening service, 
the resurrection will be proclaimed in a series questioning Mark so you can invite people as the series ends to find out if they believe in the resurrection. Next year we have a series called The Investigation right through Luke's Gospel where you can invite people who want to check out this Jesus. Did he really exist? Is there any evidence? And also you can be equipped to share your faith on your front line. I need to draw to a close, so I, I want to go to the final part of verse 15. But do this with gentleness and respect, understanding culture. I want to tell a story, but I don't want you to read too much or too little into this. I was at Andover nearly nine years as a minister, and I had a, a young pastor there called Ross. Sounds familiar. He's a pastor here now, and a young, a, a young friend called um, Andy. And we were doing a week of mission. I, I, I'm not actually that much into doing special one-offs because then we think, oh, we've, we've, done, we've done mission. No, we haven't. It's, it's our front lines all the time. But I thought, I, I, I don't really know the culture of my town. They said, well, meet up with us on a Friday night. You'll see what Andover's like on a Friday night. You'll see what the street pastors see. I said, okay, then I, I'm kind of up for that. Where shall we meet? Well, we meet at the Weatherspoons on the high street. I said, what time? They said, 10 o'clock. I said, 10 o'clock? I'm thinking of going to bed at 10 o'clock. I said, Clive, that's when people are thinking of going out. All right, so we go out. I meet the hockey team that I've been playing with. I have a chance to share my faith with them and their wives. It was wonderful. We end up, I'm sorry, I have to confess this, in a nightclub. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm having a chat with this lovely guy. And the chat's going well, as well as it went with Simon. And suddenly the lovely guy says, why does God hate me? I said, what? God doesn't hate you. He loves you. He said, well, no, I, I, I think God hates me. I said, well, I don't get it. And I explained why God loved him. He said, all right, why does the church hate me? What do you mean the church hates you? I think the church hates me. This is a guy who's doing a master's degree in, in social work. He, he, he wants to give his life to caring for other people. The reason he felt that God or the church hated him is because he never made a decision one day. All of his life he'd been wrestling with his sexuality. He was attracted to other men. That was a struggle, but the one thing I knew is that what my word needed to be to him is God loves you and the church loves you, and I'm sorry for the times we don't make it look like that. And he knew that I believed traditional teaching. He knew that, and he still respected me for that. And I still pray for him. I'm not going to mention his name. I still pray for him sometimes now. The point is this. We need to understand the culture. I'm not saying we need to ditch what we believe, but we need to work with God in this. We need to share with whoever it is, with gentleness and respect. That requires three things. The fruit of the Spirit. It requires faithfulness in a fallen world. And it requires friendliness towards those on our front line. It requires me to be kind and compassionate like Jesus. It requires me to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I did yesterday because the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, shows that gentleness is part of the fruit of abiding in Jesus who said, abide in me, remain in me, and you will bear much fruit. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians says, that fruit will include love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and kindness. When Peter says, do this with gentleness and respect, can I remind you, he's talking to persecuted Christians who are suffering and being abused and slandered and spoken evil of by the very culture they're in. And he says, turn around and love them. Turn around and treat them with gentleness and respect. 
I've got so much more to say, but I need to stop. Andy, could you, could you come back? We're going to pray. Would you stand as we pray? I got two simple things by way of conclusion. Two simple things. First of all, if you're here, for whatever reason today, you are welcome. You are loved by God and you will be loved. I hope in practical ways by this church if you give us a chance. But let me say this. If you don't know what Katie has described as a personal, you know, she was on that journey, but it got personal for her. Boy, did it get personal today. If you don't know that, ask her. She'll tell you. She might be a bit shy, but she's a bright cookie. If not, ask me. Ask anyone here if they invited you or if they're sitting next to you or whatever, because we would not want you to leave here knowing anything other than this. If you are touched by Jesus today, you are one prayer away from knowing the Father's love. You are one prayer away from knowing your eternal destiny changed. And the second thing is, if like me, you would have just loved the privilege to say to that 14-year-old, I don't know about cryonics. I've got a degree in biological sciences, but I don't know about cryonics. I'm certainly not going to oppose you wanting to do that. But can I give you a bit of hope? And it's for you whether you choose to accept this hope or not. Let me share with you the reason for the hope that I have. It's because of Jesus. Please go out and do it, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father, as we sing our final song, as we go out of here, we immediately walk out onto our front lines. We almost need a sign over the exit door that reminds us of that. Maybe we'll do it, Father. But would you take us out to be fruitful? Would you take us out full of your Holy Spirit to be... Maybe we can't be as brave as our dear sister Anne Scarf, but most of us can post a card to a letterbox. All of us can wrap some chocolate. All of us next Sunday night can come and pray together and and take invitations into our community. All of us can take one of these invitations and give it to someone we know. Help us, Lord, to be messengers of the gospel. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.